0: What's up everybody, this is Cortland from ndhackers.com and you're listening to the ND Hackers podcast. On this show I talk to the founders of profitable internet businesses and I try to get a sense of what it's like to be in their shoes. How did they get to where they are today? How do they make decisions both at their companies and in their personal lives? And what exactly makes their businesses tick? And the goal here as always is so that the rest of us can learn from their examples and go on to build our own profitable internet businesses. Today is a special episode, I have two guests who've been on the show before. Ben Tossel is back from MakerPad, and Sahil Ovingia, the CEO of Gumroad, is also back. Sahil, Ben, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having
1: us. Thanks for having me.
0: So the three of us are gathered here today to discuss the no-code movement. Sahil, you are an early engineer at Pinterest. You built Gumroad by coding it and hiring engineers to help you code it. So obviously you're going to represent the programmer's voice in this discussion. Ben, you are not a developer and your company Makerpad helps others like you learn to build and operate businesses without needing to code. So, you really are riding the wave of the no-code movement. And I think that makes you the perfect person to explain. Ben, what is no-code
1: and why does it matter? Well, um for me, no-code is just being able to build something, a solution to your problem, whether it's like a small tool to help you like do your podcast now or just did a uh, one of the guys just did a tutorial on automating, like the episode link to uh, guests for them after the podcast, or whether it's like a big thing, like how to build a Gumroad Patreon clone without code, uh, which we did last week, and that was not intentional for this podcast. But sounds uh, like somebody's coming for you, Sahil. <laughs>
2: yeah,
1: <laughs> it's uh, it could yeah it could be a range of things. It's just it's not needing to be technical and not using the. I can't code excuse as a barrier to build anything. But yeah, it'd be interesting to see how this conversation goes in terms of, it seems like there's a big one versus other type discussion on the internet. It feels like you're either in one camp or the other. But I don't think that's quite how it is, but we'll see.
0: Well, with this being a debate, that's probably exactly what we're going to do is draw a line down the middle and duke it out. <laughs> it's funny if you look at the history of, of no code. I've been making websites since I was a kid in the 90s, and even back then, there were a lot of no-code tools around that helped people put together websites without writing any code. Sahel, you learned to code well over a decade ago. Do you think there's any real difference in the no-code tools of the past versus the ones that we're seeing today?
2: Yeah, I mean, the first websites I built were using, I guess, no-code tools, like Dreamweaver. I don't know if the audience is familiar yeah. with Dreamweaver, but you know, back in the day, when everyone used tables to design stuff on the internet and a billion images, because browsers couldn't really render anything, natively rounded corners and drop shadows and all these things. So I'm very, I guess, yeah, I never sort of WYSIWYG, I guess, was was what it was called back then. Yeah, what you see is what um, you get and
0: drag and drop website builders and that kind of stuff. What you see is what you get.
2: But yeah, so I guess, yeah, Dreamweaver back in the day. Now I don't, I think it's gone. And then I, dev- I moved to WordPress and started building all my websites on WordPress, which you could argue is sort of halfway, but no code tool, right? It takes care of a lot of stuff for you, but... If you want to do anything super custom on your themes or something like that, you have to finagle around in PHP. It's like a, a low code tool. It's a low code tool, yeah. And then transition completely to just building my own stuff from scratch, or you know, using a framework like Ruby Rails or Django or something to build stuff, but taking care of all the all the app development sort of in house. So you really took a
0: no code approach to learning how to code. First, you started with Dreamweaver, and then you moved on to WordPress, and eventually writing your own code. From scratch, basically, and I think the fact that this all happened so long ago really highlights the fact that these no-code tools have been out forever. They've been out for decades, and yet there's never been any sort of groundswell. There's never been any sort of transition where suddenly developers don't have jobs, where suddenly most companies are the best companies, and startups are all built without code. Ben, your company Makerpad is really a bet on the current no-code movement, and you know the idea that it might turn into something big. Why is now the time? Why is this going to be bigger today than it ever has been in the past?
1: Well, I just think like the tools are obviously getting hugely better. And and it's also sort of how everyone seems to be wanting to work. Everyone wants to build their own thing, which Legion from Andreessen posted something about the, the passion economy recently that was like, if you want to start a niche newsletter that you sort of get people to pay you for so that that's like a little side project or whatever it is, you can do that on Substack or you could build that with other other tools and manage it yourself. I think these weren't necessarily as easy maybe back in the day with Dreamweaver and, and all that sort of stuff. I don't know. I wasn't. I just missed all that stuff. I wasn't technical, basically, or in even enough to pay attention to any sort of tech stuff until it was a bit late, which is why I was probably looking at tools to help me skip the curve a bit and, and almost cheat my way to get the end result that I was thinking of. But I think there's a big change in what people think of as startups especially with this the whole indie hackers movement which obviously you're familiar with is there's there's tons of people building smaller businesses whatever way they want and making a living from it like if you can make 300 grand a year from having a website up that uses no code to me that sounds like a phenomenal business if it's just one person running it and i think that's what More and more people will start looking into and and starting to do. And I think, uh, well, even Sahil's Gumroad empowers those sorts of people too. So it's like, it's definitely a huge, huge inflection point in that sense. So I think the no code tools just sort of help, help those people along the way.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think it depends on how you measure growth. It's unlikely, in my view, that you'll see a billion dollar startup that doesn't have a code base on GitHub or, or, or GitLab or something in the next five to ten years. But I think you'll see a huge amount of yeah, newsletters, journalists, educators, teachers, writers, filmmakers going more and more direct to consumer. These people were were never technical. They're some of actually the least technical people that I know are creative creative people, which is kind of surprising to me or was. But you know, those those people make, you know, six figures a year. And there might be hundreds of thousands of those people. Will they cross the threshold into making fifteen million dollars a year? I don't think so. Not with you know, not with no code, but but also yeah, it's just like it depends on what you want, right? It depends on do you want to build the next stripe, which frankly, like there it will be one more of, maybe, you know, like there there's just not that many opportunities to do that. Then yeah, you don't need to. I would say the other point I have is I like the idea of being able to choose no code instead of being forced to do it. I like the idea that if I want to I can I can understand what's going on under the hood if I need to versus be constrained potentially by being basically having to take it to a mechanic right If we use a, no, a low code or no code tool that doesn't do what we need or you know just increases their pricing by a ton or something like that like it's just risky potentially to build a business like that. And so having the flexibility, like, for example, we use Circle for our, our integration testing, we could do all that stuff in house, we could set up a little CI server and stuff like that, but we choose not to, but they just increase their pricing. So that's a decision that we might make, you know, it used to be 300, now it's 1200 a month, is it worth it? But at least we can have that conversation. Whereas if we were like, we can't do that, you know, that's, that's a $900 a month cost to not being able to do that. I've interviewed dozens
0: of founders on the Andy Acres podcast who are non-technical. They don't know how to code but they've still built wildly profitable businesses. and I think one of the most common patterns I've seen from these non-technical founders is that they still work with developers. A lot of them found a way to partner with a developer as a co-founder or to hire developers for cheap or uh, find creative ways to work with coders. Very few of them built their businesses entirely on no-code tools. Ben, are you seeing any companies that are built entirely on no-code tools today that have been able to reach a substantial size?
1: So this is one. I guess this sort of goes towards the scaling question, and tons of people ask this. And Lambda School was built basically on no code tools. It was built with Airtable, Slack, Zoom, and Notion. And we, at MakerPad, we've got one of the one of the guys from Lambda School who's been sort of able to tell us how they've been able to build certain things without code. And like at this point now, it is just starting to break. I think. I think they're they've really pushed where these tools can go, which is fair enough. I think they're. They what, 150 million in like Series B or something was it? And then they've got thousands of students all working together every single day on these tools. So that's that really is pushing the limit. So they're pretty big. Yeah, I think that that's fair enough to think of at this current point. You can literally take it that far. You can get to that point if you made a good enough business. But I don't know why so many people worry about that stage when. Maybe get to like get to ten dollars first, get to a hundred dollars, get to a (laughs) thousand. Like I think everyone worries about the what's my Airbnb version of this look like when you're probably not gonna get there. So that's what happened, I think, with me gravitating towards no code was initially I thought I had to build something that was it's gotta be Airbnb style. It's gotta be you have a co-founder who's technical or you learn to code and you build this massive thing and that's just how startups are. That's just the world of startups. But through the last few years of the sort of indie hacker movement and everyone seeing different things, you can just do your own path. And like we were talking about before we start recording this, there is no right answer. The ones you read about are the outliers and the exceptions. So don't worry about the hugely successful version of your own product when
2: you haven't even started building anything yet. Cause that's probably a long, long way off. I think that's reasonable. I mean you know, for me, I built Gumroad in a weekend with code. It probably would have potentially taken me longer, probably. I mean, that was 2011. So who knows if it was even possible to build that with no code back in the day, nine years ago, eight years ago. But, you know, even if it was possible, I think it was faster for me to build Gumroad with code than, sort of you know, inv- read MakerPad for hours and hours, <laughs> probably probably more than... Uh I know cuz I get in the rabbit hole. My like, god, I don't need to learn, I don't need to build anything. I can just watch other people build stuff. This is really cool. That's so that you know, that's I guess the meta point is like it's easy to be distracted I think by no code potentially where you you might actually solve the problem faster. I, I guess that's a fear that I have is that people that could learn how to code with you know, it's kind of a like a one marshmallow now, two marshmallows later sort of thing. Delay gratification where maybe no code is pushing people to sort of get the one marshmallow now. Whereas if they just invested, you know, a week, two weeks, three weeks, they could get two marshmallows later. I agree that it is unwise to spend a ton of time thinking about problems that don't matter and statistically will not be relevant to you. I think the idea of potentially building a, let's say gum road with no code, launching it, seeing how well it does, and then deciding, okay, this is like, we have certain aspirations that require us to rewrite the whole thing. We actually did rewrite the whole thing from Python to Ruby. So feasibly, we basically built the app again. We thought it would be easier to hire, uh, and our first engineer was a Ruby developer.
0: That's actually pretty common. I've talked to so many founders who've built a V1 of their app. And especially founders who outsource that development to, I don't know, some sort of dev shop in Eastern Europe or something. And it turns out that that gets them to the starting line and they're able to get their first set of users, but then their app crashes or it's crappy or they need to rewrite the entire thing from scratch, which I think actually yeah. speaks to, to Ben's point, which is that, you know, maybe that first version doesn't need to be in code. Maybe you could have done it faster if you use no code tools, got something out there to test the market, validate that your idea is a good one that people want to sign up. And then since people who write apps and code Often rewrite them anyway. It's not that difficult for you to then think about using a code-based solution or sticking with your your no-code solution. I feel like I just scored an own
1: goal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, but it's still like well, the point you made was for you the quickest way to do something and the most effective way to do it was to code something. Like for me, that's definitely not the quickest or most efficient way to do it. And I think if that's your tool, that's the way your brain works, or you you'd like doing it that way, then that's absolutely fine. I think there is a way to build something Gumroad-esque or Patreon-esque without code. But yeah, how far is that going to get you compared to what the Gumroad product looks like today? Nothing like it, I imagine. Hopefully. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, for your sake, I guess.
2: <laughs> not yet, not yet.
0: One of the, the common themes here is that no matter what kind of company you want to build, if you're coming in as a founder and a creator, you're coming in with a lot of background knowledge. So in Sahil's case, you're able to, to launch Gumroad in a weekend, sure, but really you learned to code for years before that. And so it wasn't really just a weekend that it took you to get Gumroad off the ground. That was really based on all of this other knowledge you had accumulated throughout your life. And Ben, the, the same is actually true for you as well. You're building without code, you were able to build MakerPad without code, you are able to put out all these tutorials teaching others to build apps and businesses without code, but you couldn't have done that if you didn't spend all the time Learning the ins and outs of these different no code tools and the landscape and which tools are better or worse for different jobs. So, we already talked about Sahel's path to becoming a developer. Ben, what does your path look like to becoming a no code master and how long can someone expect it to take for them to
1: learn how to use these no code tools effectively? Yeah, I think mine was like completely unintentional. It was like, like I said, I was sort of, I felt like I was a bit behind with the, oh, I didn't jump on the code wagon early enough. And I was lucky enough to get a job at Product Hunt, which meant, I was surrounded by people making things every day, which sort of lights a fire under your belly to think, i got to do something. I want to do something here. I need to sort of figure out how I can do this. And then I was around at Product Hunt when things like Webflow and Bubble were launching. So I got to see that and thought, wait, I could use this to build something. And then it would just ignite that maker, whatever you want to call it, just to like, I wanted to tinker around and play with things. And then... From there, I just never stopped. And I assume it would be the exact same thing if you got to a point that those hours that I was just spent on product time, learning things, trying stuff out, if you're doing that just as, okay, I'm going through some like code basics, I can now launch this thing and build this thing, you then start tinkering more and pushing it more with, with the code thing. So I think those avenues are very similar. And I like I definitely tried to, to code a few times, but I just kept on like getting blocked and thinking, okay, this next video doesn't work because the last thing I did just broke, so now I'm stuck and I can't. I don't know what to do, so I'm just going to give up. Whereas with the no code thing, I always somehow managed to troubleshoot my own problems. Like I just figured it out. It was just an easier visual thing for me to be able to think, okay, I know how I can figure this thing out. Whereas with code, I was literally just copying whatever text was on there screen if it didn't come out right i thought fuck it i'm not i'm not for coding so (laughs) that's where back to the drawing board yeah so i always just kept on going down that path and it just it happened over a number of years then and i didn't really realize that i was building a foundation for building a business without code teaching others how to do it it's just i kept on thinking well i want to build this type of thing and then figuring out i can build something that looks like this type of thing and then people just kept on asking me, how are you doing that?
0: Do you think there needs to be like a Lambda school for, for no-code? Like a curriculum dedicated to teaching people how to learn these no-code tools? And if so, how much of an investment do you think it'll take? Because it can easily take a year to become a competent developer who can build your own web app. How much time do I really need to tinker with no-code
1: tools before I'm competent enough to start building real businesses off the back of my skills? Well, I, I do think it just completely depends because so many tools are just for so many different th- like types of things. And again, like Integromat is, works differently to Zapier, but I like Zapier and we work with them and I just happen to fall down the Zapier route. That means I use Zapier for basically everything, whereas Integromat, I could just as easily sort of swap that out on, on many of these occasions. But yeah, for whatever reason, I'm, I'm in the Zapier boat and we love working with them and you use them on basically everything. So the curriculum part is interesting though. And I think we at MakerPad are looking at this because it just seems like an obvious thing that people are always saying, What about Lambda School for this? So it's something we're looking at, but it's nothing we've figured out yet, to be honest. And I think there's so many different options for what would that curriculum look like? Is it the case of we do a lot of different verticals, like how do you create a podcast or how do you be a podcaster? without needing to be technical. So I think there's opportunity there, which is what we're currently sort of tinkering with inside.
0: Sahil, what's your take on all of this learning? You mentioned earlier that it, it might be a you know one or two marshmallow situation and that maybe there's more benefits to be reaped in the long term if you spend your time learning to code instead of learning these no-code tools. Why do you say that?
2: I think I've sort of historically treated code as a rung above no-code. On the if sort of this like linear ladder, and I think this idea, like I just like I could build Gumroad using using code in a weekend. I don't think actually today I could build Gumroad in the same period of time using no code tools. So sort of my argument that like you should be able to choose code as an argument for code should also I assume apply to no code then, right? Like I I'm not competent enough in no code. Don't understand it enough. Don't understand the glue. So much of coding is not coding; it's like gluing things from Stack Overflow together, fixing bugs, and hoping that uh, you know you Google for a comment in GitHub that has like sixty thousand upvotes, and you're like, "Yes, this is the thing that's going to solve my problem." So, Ben, that does not go away. <laughs> <laughs> I think no code. I guess you know you To me, it almost feels like like how you describe code is how is how I feel about no code, where I don't really understand it. Like I don't know even the limits of it. Potentially, I don't know how the things work together. Um, and how this sort of ecosystem is. Whereas, if someone was like, "Hey, you know, I'm starting a podcast," I would very quickly be able to build like a website, RSS feed, some backend tools to uh, you know allow for publishing of content, automated stuff to go to Twitter, et etc. And I could do that with with uh, with you know probably a really simple uh, Ruby app or something like that on Heroku is probably what I'd use. I could not do that with no code, and maybe that's sort of a A a sort of sign that I should. I would say one argument for code is that there is a sort of this system that has been there around for a long time, so you can sort of ballpark yourself in terms of like, can I do certain things? Am I getting better at the things that I need to get better at in order to make a full time living doing this? Whereas I think with with no code, it seems like you could build something that looks really great and really powerful, way faster. But then, like, what's next? Like, how you know you're also you can get to the end really fast. But then, like, maybe there's not something beyond that. Um, like, will you just hit a limit where you bubble or glide or webflow like can't do what you want? And then you're kind of like screwed. You just sit around, you know, emailing their support every month, being like, "Hey, it'd be really great." I know with Gumroad we get people creators that have asked for the same feature for years, and we're we're like, "Sorry, it's just not a priority for us." And it would be cool. I assume if they could fork Gumroad and then sort of build their own, the feature they need for themselves. And that's, that's where we want to get to eventually. So I, I'd say that's, that's an argument for code. It, 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 it just, it, it just older. So you have more context and more resources and more search results in Google. If you run into a problem that you need solved, I also wonder how you hire people in a no code sort of, if you're building a startup with no code you have a bunch of is the can you is it just like oh like the scale of a single person is so large now with no code that you have one or two people running an organization that would have 15 engineers in it you know 10 years ago or do you do you end up with a place where you know you have 15 20 no code people how do those people work together how do you have separation of concerns with code it's kind of easy right you have the back end you have the front end people with uh, low code or, or or no code like what what does that look like Like, how do you have different departments in like a no code environment?
0: Well, Ben, you're actually doing this at MakerPad.
1: Yeah, all my current contractors are no code people, also. And one is operations, one is tutorials, and we work in the same tools: Notion and Airtable and Zapier. But yeah, I mean, you are right, and I think it was interesting what you said about it's much about learning how to put these things together, figuring out what went wrong, how to fix the bugs it's actually the exact same type of process in no code. So that's why I keep on saying that we're sort of on the same path of, or like parallel path rather, to those things. And, and it's still sort of a similar way to figure things out. But like you said, code has been around for a much longer time. And these tools, Glide and, and Webflow, et cetera, are they're coming a long way in that they are building new things really quickly and and, and seeing, luckily, how people in MakerPad or the no-code community are trying to build things, which is then helps them sort of move their roadmaps or prioritize things over over other things. I know that Webflow, especially this year, has really sort of clung to the no-code movement and talked about no-code. They got the no-code conference next, this, next week. And yeah, it seems like that's like a, a valuable piece that they're trying to build towards. And I think with like hiring people I think it's more like what are the things you're trying to get done so if it's we need marketing systems and we need things for marketing social and content and all that sort of stuff you could easily have people who are no coders go in and create these systems but it depends like what tools you are working on as a business if you've got a ton of code related stuff with in-app events and all this sort of stuff happening with, with coding, you've got to read all that, then you can only get so far with uh, with some no coders. But I think that it's going to be more and more people being able to build their own mini tools as no coders to say, oh, I could monitor our Reddit comments and any time our company or podcasting is mentioned on Reddit, we can have that come into a Google Sheet. And then once that goes into a Google Sheet, that gets posted on our Slack and then I can one click this one thing and then we send this response or whatever it is. It's like those types of things would have previously been done with code and those are now sort of becoming way more accessible to people who, who don't know how to code or don't even need to because maybe that is the the quicker way to build that thing.
2: Yeah, I, mean, I think a lot of those services, especially internal tools, things around marketing and growth and BD and sales, all of those things should should get out of the code base. And that's actually something at Gumroad that we've been really working on is basically taking stock of all the things in our code base that aren't fundamental to Gumroad as a app, as a product. For example, right, if someone signs up with an at nytimes.com email address, we might want to email them and say, hey, um, or they have, you know, a certain number of Twitter followers or something, we might want that to uh, show up in Slack. And that's currently like tons of different Ruby. Sort of worker processes that run on every user and, you know, between 50 and 100 lines of code each. And I think it's great to basically delete all that stuff, delete all of it and move it to a, an external app, a no code tool. So, one thing as I'm thinking about, you know, we just hired a content person and she's working on creating a Facebook group for all government creators that have made over $1,000. And, you know, for example, she, you know, she can't. A coach. She doesn't know SQL, um, and so she has to basically ask someone on the engineering team. In this case, myself, to to sort of give her a list of emails of everybody that's made over a thousand dollars on Gumroad. It takes me five minutes because I know SQL. I can do a simple join on users and purchases and um, all these things. How? What's the answer to that in the sort of the no code ecosystem? If if we you know if we want to get sort of you know I I I know there are certain sort of tools to to get. Uh, general data, but if I want something very specific, like how much volume has comics done on Gumroad in the last thirty days, was another query that I wanted to do recently. Knowing SQL is sort of, to my knowledge, the only real way to do that. Yeah, well, I think there's
1: there's tools like Clay or Retool which have like some ways that you can, as a developer and a non-developer, sort of work together in the same tool. So if there was something you needed to Link up to say, okay, this is where all your data will come from. Then that goes to the no-coder in this scenario where they can just run those queries and and do those things. There's also think, tools like standard library, which again is similar. There's, there's lots of these that are sort of bridging the gap between the two, which means that it doesn't have to be one or the other. And then almost it becomes the no-coder does these queries or figures these things out and then recognizes the pattern for, okay, I know how to do that on like Designers or whatever it is, the next the next thing to uh, to evaluate. So then they pick up smaller bits of how do I manipulate this query or this code stuff, like tiny bits at a time, which also then may help them want to figure out that they want to learn to code, which is actually an interesting pattern of no coders is this actually might be the best and like maybe strongest way for someone to figure out. They actually do want to learn to code. They haven't like just done the the first like three modules on Code Academy, and now they're still getting stuck every time. They're more thinking, "Well, I built this thing, and then I wanted to do these things." And actually, yeah, maybe if I learn to code, I can do these. And I, I know I want to manipulate data and, and work with data in, in these sorts of ways. And that's where I want to go with my career. And that definitely sort of could sort of help with uh, with both of those paths.
0: This is interesting because I grapple with this in Indie Hackers. The entire website is built using code that I wrote myself, but everybody that I work with is not a developer. They don't know how to write code, or they're not familiar with our code base, or they have other responsibilities. And so, what I find myself doing is building tools for them. Ben, you mentioned retool. I've got a ton of retools set up to let you do things without using code. So, for example, you can deploy an episode of the Indie Hackers podcast and take it live on the website. By filling out a form, you could change the title, you can change the release date, et cetera, all without writing code. Whereas before that was a process I did myself using code. And if I look at Gumroad, I think Gumroad's similar to any hackers, it's all built using code. If Sahil, if you want to hire some no-coders to bring them in, you really need to build some tools just like I have. Whereas MakerPad was built without using any code from the get-go. It's all built on no code tools. So Ben wouldn't have to do any extra work to bring on some no-coders.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think the one of the really powerful things about building on code too which i miss when i leave sort of the code sphere of influence is git and version control and sort of this very clear log of what's happening in terms of security in terms of feedback you know in terms of making sure that the only certain quality of code gets through what i would love to see more broadly is that apply to other things for example in notion i would love the idea of pull requests and merges and merge conflicts and comments within just a document setting because i think that's something i really struggle with like someone go can go in notion and edit a bunch of stuff and there's no real great way to sort of say this stuff you can't edit or it has to be approved before it's sort of merged into the master the idea of forks and branches i think are that come from code typically are just phenomenal ways to think about really building anything. Like I, when I write, when I when I do other things, I sort of think of that forking and, and merging metaphor all the time. So I think that's another thing about code that's really great, is it gives you access to some of these paradigms, conditionals, data structures, algorithms that you might be able to use in daily life that outside of code that are just interesting concepts that you might not get in a no-code uh, setting.
0: It's funny, we're, we're sort of unearthing some good startup ideas here. There's pretty much all the things you do using code, people who are using these no-code tools are going to want to do. Right, The fact that we have tools like Git that are super powerful and that are pretty much a staple of every single code base, uh, and the fact that that's missing from the no-code ecosystem makes it not only hard to adopt no-code tools, but it also means that there's an opportunity to build something there that, that could be useful for lots of people in the future. But it's also kind of ironic to know that these tools will almost
2: certainly be built by people using code. Yeah, it's kind of ironic in a way, right? Where like I was thinking about this today this morning like some of the most important companies in the no-code movement are one you know built using code and then two typically because they're they're building something that needs to be quite complex they raise a ton of venture capital and so you have this sort of ethos divide I think a little bit where no-code seems to be more about bootstrapping building a business that can sustain you and your lifestyle and you know a community that you care about not going for like a billion dollar exit, but then to do that, you basically have to start using all these tools that are unprofitable, won't be profitable for a long time, will likely get folded up into Facebook, Google, Apple, or die. And that's sort of another interesting sort of dilemma. I think that the no code it's similar to, similar to crypto, actually. I think where like you have all this really great enthusiasm on like the app layer level, but then the sort of like the, there are very few companies that are really smart enough, large enough, ambitious enough, and have the money to spend on on people that sort of can do the deep level thinking on a lot of these things and architecture. I don't know. It's it's just an interesting, sort of weird kind of dichotomy.
0: Yeah, the infrastructure level is usually pretty complex and requires code. Nobody's building website builders without code, for example.
1: Um one thing I would say about you said about version control. We actually have a version of that in MegaPad. So in our Airtable base, when we get any stories submitted, if I go and edit that, it'll go on Slack and say, Ben edited this and, and change it from that to this. So there's some things there. So maybe we should do some more uh, tutorials around how you do version control and things like that with without
0: code. That's pretty cool. Let's talk more about this. Because I think for somebody like Sahel or me, it's pretty easy for us to misjudge the limits of no code. But Ben, you have a better perspective than we do. What are some things that... You know, we might not guess you could build without code that you actually can.
1: Yeah, there must be a ton. I mean we've got over like a hundred tutorials now on MakerPad, which is crazy. I'm trying to think of all the all the things we've built. We've built, like I said, the Patreon clone, which was recent. There's things like Instagram type clones, Airbnb clones and things like that, which these are the more I mean I think there's two avenues. One is what's like interesting, what's gonna grab people's attention, which are these bigger Sort of Airbnb-style things that are like, oh wow! I never thought I could build that without code. Like I built an Airbnb app on Glide, um, and it just uses one Google Sheet, and it's got a host app and a user app, and that can work fully well. Like fully, you can sign up as a host, add your properties, add ratings, all that sort of stuff. We built a Cameo clone on on Glide as well, again, with sort of a celebrity side app and, and the user app where you can pay for a video, send a video and all that sort of stuff. So there's lots of these, which I think we've done quite a few of recently to sort of gauge people's interest and sort of say, these are the possibilities right now and these are like cool things we're pushing these tools to do. But I think there's a huge opportunity, especially for us to build the more useful things that people can actually say, okay, actually that would really help my day-to-day workflow. or I can actually use that. And that's like not, because I mean, the, the amount of people who are going to go and build an Instagram clone, a Cameo clone or whatever, is not super high. And like you said, th- like these sort of people will, may not have an app in a month's time. It might just be a, had this idea for Cameo for, celebrity animals and it just like doesn't go anywhere and and that sort of thing but whereas if you can sort of get into we came to either of you guys and said okay what are the things that you're having to build tools for yourself to connect developers and and non-developers where are the gaps there and what are these automations that you think should be done and automated but maybe shouldn't be done without code can we build them for you can we do tutorials around those and that sort of thing? And what what does that look like? I think that will be the sort of part of the next part of what we're doing is finding real business use cases of how do we ingrain this a bit more into the professional life rather than, oh, cool, you can build this Airbnb clone. And was like, oh, wow, that's really
2: cool. But is it useful? I don't know. I, I almost take the opposite stance where I think there's... because people kind of know that no code can do a lot of that useful day-to-day automate the boring stuff sort of stuff. Like, you know, a lot of the questions that we've been talking about are like, well, can no code do that? Like, can it, can it get all the way to an Airbnb or an Uber or a Cameo? And I think even though there's such a focus on, well, you know, no one is going to do like, you know, like there's, there's very few opportunities to do that. I think people can't help but sort of want to think like that. Like, well, if this works all the way through, will I get, you know, even though that's a, you know, a thing that one, 1% one percent of the time will actually happen, being able to answer that question. Like, for example, if there's a, a cameo with no code that is, let's say, just like way more sort of affordable uh, to celebrities, they take a lot a less of a fee because they don't need, you know, hundreds of engineers, they have a raised an ABC because they have this super lean mean team that's all built on no code. And then cameo goes out of business because you're just a like to me, that sells the story of no code so effectively because the the sort of the the sort of cynic in me says, well, if that's possible, if you can build Airbnb, Uber, cameo Uber is a uh, is a great example. We work maybe as another. You have these companies that are raising hundreds of millions of dollars building teams of thousands of engineers in San Francisco, paying each person two, three hundred thousand dollars a year. If there is a case for no code to be able to basically wipe the floor with some of these companies because you can basically build Uber, except instead of tw- taking twenty percent, you take one percent, the economic incentive for that is so large, it's like, well, why hasn't that happened yet? If it is possible to build Cameo, you can you still need to to do the growth, the sales, the marketing, the content, all that stuff. But the actual the sort of you know, 10, 20 million dollars a year that they're burning, Patreon's a great example. Patreon is burning Between 30 and 40 million dollars a year on their staff and office and everything like that on operational expenses because they have 170 people to do that. They've raised 170 million dollars. Creators are, I think, sort of rightfully concerned about that because that's a huge hole to climb out of if you're Patreon and if you're a creator using Patreon, your business might rely on it, which is why we're building actually a, a competitor. But I think you could stretch it even further. You know, Gumroad will be far more affordable because we're profitable now. We're not looking to sort of be a rocket ship anymore. You know, we don't have $170 million in preferences to get out of. But is there an even more leaner version of Gumroad that is like one person in the middle of nowhere that built a Patreon clone and it's charging? Maybe it's free. You know, maybe it's like a dollar a month or something insane is someone's side project. A creator, I think, would find a huge amount of appeal in that. They're incredibly price sensitive. It's kind of like, you know most basketball players will be Steph Curry, but the idea that you might be is so motivating to people. The idea that I could have been Mark Zuckerberg was so motivating to me as a child to learn all these things, even though it's almost delusional really to believe that you will be that, but sometimes you, you need that, you need that crazy uh, carrot on a stick to get you even past the first three or four steps. You might realize down the line, like I did, like actually that's not that appealing to me at all. But it was important to say, to make the investment. I see this in Prejudice all the time, where people are like, what's the point in trying? Because even if I get all the way better than most people ever will, I can't get to the top because there's this artificial ceiling there. And that motivates people from even getting to step two or three or four. And so I think showing people you can build this thing that you might not even want to build, but just to show you that it's possible. Here's a billion dollar startup that's run by one dude in Croatia that is Uber, but Decentralized, and it, and it charges drivers one dollar a ride flat.
1: Yeah, and I think like when Meetup changed their their like yeah. model recently, so we did a we okay. did a Meetup clone based like from that. We just we just sort of <laughs> put pens and just started and just did that without code. Um, and I, yeah, I, I agree that that is always going to be a part of it. You do need to have this is what you can build, and because so many people's ideas, if they come to me and say, "How do I build?" this type of thing without code. And I say, well, what, like, how does it work? Most of the time, it's like a marketplace, right? It looks like Uber, it looks like Airbnb or Cameo. It looks like the same sort of thing. And I just say, go and look at these tutorials. So yeah, I think it does use a lot of that, but I think there is both things to to look into. So it'd be interesting to see how it grows. I can attest to this too, because any Hackers
0: is very... A huge part of any hackers is inspiration. And what inspires people to start a company? And a lot of it is this sort of aim for the stars. You see your heroes who have these outlandish stories that are they're just crushing it and you want to be them. And even if you know you aim that high, you land on the moon, as the cliche goes, you're still on the moon. It's still a pretty good place for you to have gotten, but you wouldn't have gotten there if you didn't think you could make it to the stars. Ben, you know more about building apps and websites without code than probably anybody. I wonder what the limits are. You know, if I wanted to build a cameo or an Airbnb without code tools, at what point are things going to break down? Is it going to be, you know, the lack of user authentication and sign up? Is it going to be the fact that there aren't great no code tools for mobile? Is it going to be that I can't scale the database? Like what, what is it that breaks down eventually, if anything?
1: Well, I mean, I've never pushed an app to that point. And I don't think many people have. I think that's what I said with Lambda School, they are struggling now, but I think they've got must be tens, if not hundreds of thousands of lines in Airtable that they're like they must have people whose sole job it is to actively manage the air table base and, and all these sort of in-house tools. So my guess would be that it's going to be like that sort of level of that's what it's going to be. It's going to be having 10 or a thousand, ten thousand users on your app doing all these things every single day. If one little thing breaks, it may not be as easy to fix or reverse as with code. But I want, I want someone to use a tutorial, like a Cameo clone, build it, and actually launch something that let's see how far these things can, can go. Because there's very little people out there who actually would be able to tell you that answer because not many people have that sort of successful app regardless of code or no code so it's a tricky one and i know that's one that everyone's talks about and then like i said i would always just default back to my don't worry about that until you get there if it comes to you've got an airbnb clone for animal houses or whatever it is and then you want to you've got like a thousand people and it starts breaking you're in a very good position to do the next stage of of your startup whether that's raise money, high developers or whatever, you've you've probably made money on that already. So, What about in the short term? Do you find yourself ever sort of frustrated or
0: stymied that there's things that you have trouble with, things you wish existed in the no-code ecosystem that stop you from getting certain app ideas even to, to phase one?
1: Um, I think a lot of things actually look very similar under the, like, the building blocks are quite similar of like, okay, this is a landing page, this is a database, this is the the glue, Um, And it's just ways of how do I sort of wangle all these things together in a way that makes it feel and look like a freelancer marketplace, for example. But that can be done. It's just if one thing breaks on Zapier and something doesn't quite go through, then the whole thing sort of stops. And it's like, okay, now I've got to go through all these things and check my Zap history and see what what went wrong and, and debug all that sort of stuff, too. So, yeah, I mean, just figuring these stuff these things out and we need to build the tutorials there to to help with those things and have on demand help and people in the community who are just willing to help on okay i'm a am an airtable expert so i can help you figure out some of these things so yeah we're, we're getting there because there's i think that the no code space is an interesting one that you sort of find us because maybe you're you didn't have another path it was either learn to code or find a technical co-founder and no, none of those fit you so you find no code, you go, you find a tutorial, you build something in like an hour, two hours, and you think, this is better than I've ever got with anything. So this is great. And then all of a sudden, you fall down that rabbit hole hard. You either build multiple things, or you start building using like a certain stack, maybe it's Webflow, Airtable, Zapier, and then you sort of become a seasoned expert on a few of these things. And then you know, because you've gone through all the errors all the ways it works and ways to connect things you've gone through and and figured out how to really get these things working well together. And then you become that person, the go-to person of if you want to know how to uh, make a marketplace with Webflow, Airtable and Zapier, then I know the guy for you and it's this person he's like, there's a, a guy doing no code conference. So that's why this is the example he's built one and it works really well for him. And he like, that's his business. And, It's like a full-on go-and-find-a-freelancer filtered by their skills and and hire them and stuff like that. So yeah, I think if you want to do the no-code stuff, you sort of become in one of those buckets uh, quite easily. It's it's interesting to see who who sort of fits in where.
0: Sahil, what are your thoughts on the limits of no-code? Not necessarily in building some sort of gigantic company like Google or Airbnb or Stripe, But, and just trying to get a new business off the ground. Are there any ideas, any areas where no code is sort of dead on arrival and you really should have started by building on code?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think those limits exist. Uh, There are certainly things that I would not consider building on no code. For example, uh, if I was building an app to help no coders do integration tests on their website so that if Zapier wow. broke or something, you'd get like a Pingdom or something that says, hey, like this flow on your app that we run every three minutes is broken now. Or whatever that sort of the integration test sort of reinforced QA looks like for, for no code. I think that's a great thing that should exist for no code. I think that's sort of the the meta answer is just there's anything that's sort of considered infrastructure, like that is considered a service to, up to no code or other startups not. Mm-hmm. I will use no code to do. I think maybe there's like sort of a a one layer deep stack where you have like a a product, that product is no code or uses no code, and then everything or, uh, or the things sort of under that need to be code or something like that. Maybe you don't want too many layers of no code or something. I do think in general, what we'll see is just like 10 years ago, I think people were super skeptical or did not really think Slack and Zoom and Stripe and all these companies were going to be as large as they were. Startups for startups, they call them. I think is sort of this big, really crazy. Like no one really, I feel like, knew how large the industry for startups building startups uh-huh. software for other startups was. Was now you see it with Brex and with like all these crazy companies raising all all sorts of cash to go do that pilot and etc. I think we'll see a similar thing with no code. Hopefully, right where you'll see, uh, you'll have thousands and thousands of of no code companies that now exist that will need tools that they'll pay for and they'll be sort of financially successful enough to be able to pay for these tools which will create all of these great tools for no-code businesses and more no-code businesses will lead to more tools which will lead to making you know more no and hopefully that sort of builds which i think is happening and you see that with stripe is probably the best example of a company that i feel like has created uh, opportunities for new companies to get started, which has created new opportunities for other startups to help startups, to help startups, et cetera. I do think, though, I would, I would I definitely would default to code for almost anything that I build. For example, I had this idea yesterday called 20 xx which is an idea that basically it's kind of like a WordPress or, or substack or some combination of tools that a, a, sort of a potential politician would, would use to run for office at some point in, the, in this century. So it's like, hey, I might run in 50 years or in 30 years or, or tomorrow, but I just want to sort of have an issues platform, get feedback, have version control on it, have, build an email list. Uh, I just think that would be really great and really important. And it would be free, you know, you know, you'd run by donations or something like that. And my default would be, I'm going to build that with code. Even though all of those things, like email newsletter, clearly there's a tool for that donations there's a tool there's i'm sure a no-code tool for that there's all these things um my default is still i guess maybe comes from fear but like this idea that you know i need i need to to control everything i think as it's coming from a design background especially i sort of i feel like have this stigma i would say against sometimes things like bootstrap and you know things that in the context let's say with Gumroad i wonder if i was able to build gumroad in no code but it because it was built like that people kind of felt that and then didn't report it in the early days enough or didn't, weren't as excited about it and then therefore gumroad wasn't successful and never became a thing so i wonder if if, if no code can sort of potentially defeat ideas that may have been successful but that you know that idea is, is one that i think is perfect for no code there's like basically 3 or 4 tools you would need as a sort of a would be politician you could use Notion and Substack or Gumroad or Mailchimp or whatever, and sort of Zapier and hook them all together and donations. And so maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that's a great example of a, of a thing that should exist. But the idea, I guess, like the I want, you know, I just have so much comfort in like, okay, well, I know I know the first ten steps. If I if I do it with code, you know, I'm going to create a Rails app. I'm going to create a GitHub repository. I'm going to open source it from day zero, mm-hmm. and then you know I can design. And basically anything, I don't have to think about it because I know I'm going to be able to use HTML CSS the way I want to make it look the way it should in my eyes to sort of perfectly solve that problem. Instead of use the sort of a template and then add some CSS to kind of modify the visual aesthetic of it. Just kind of a tangent, but I would say that you mentioned mobile as like sort of a place that maybe No Code doesn't shine yet, and that is essential because the thing about code is that I can basically build for one platform, but then the minute you know, I have to mobile format it, I have to make an Android app, I have to make an iOS app. I think that's a huge opportunity for no-code to just blow it out of the water. You know, I have to do all my own meta tags for Google search results and Twitter to show up nicely on Twitter and to show up nicely on Facebook and to show up nicely on YouTube. And I think the idea that you can build something once and it's universal is one of the most broadly appealing things to me about no-code. And I think we've mentioned it on the on the podcast, but it's not... The point is not only code, right, and only no code. Almost everything, I think, will be built in in a combination of the two. Um, I think Heroku is maybe the best example of that. Like you basically no coded ops, but you wouldn't call using Heroku like a no code tool necessarily, even though basically that's what you're doing is you're deleting you know thousands of lines of ops code and potentially a, a, a role in your company for someone that is a operations engineer, you know that. is sort of the most no-code you can get.
0: You know, it's interesting, Sahil, listening to you talk about how if you were to start something new today, you would just default to using code because that's what you already know. That's what you're comfortable with. You already have the first 10 steps of any new project more or less mapped out in your head. And this is where all your knowledge and skills are. And that resonates with me because I'm the same way. I would probably default to using code too. And I might not even give these no-code tools basically the time of day. I might not even look into them because why would I? I already know how to do exactly what I want to do using the tools that I'm used to. But then another part of me wonders if this is what it feels like to be a dinosaur. You know, Is this what it feels like to be running a newspaper in 1996, uh, complaining about the internet and talking about how you don't need it because paper has always been good enough. Ben, what are your thoughts here? Are we missing out on, on something huge? And how do we make sure that we keep up to date with things that we don't quite understand and aren't just carried away blindly by the momentum of what we already do understand?
1: Well, I think, like you guys saying, you already know the first 10 steps. I think I probably know the same. I know 10 steps to do straight off the bat too with the tools that I already know. So I'm just as sort of victim to those traps as well, I think. But being currently in this like, I'm finger on the pulse of the no-code movement, I get to see a lot of these tools, and we we're trying to purposely work with these tools and say, when you're releasing new things, Release them with us as well, so we can show people what is new, what is more, what's possible, and then people are building new things every day and trying to trying to do new things with, with no code tools that we get to see. So, I guess that happens with some people building things with code, and it's like okay, that's like a new thing that I could have used in this scenario, but I don't know how. How does anyone solve these things? Like, I think this is like it's a similar problem. Like I said, I think coders and no coders are actually very similar in. In their challenges and their thinking and and how we've got to all use the things that are most comfortable to us, but also try and remember that things change every year and every, every month. We should be sort of trying them out every now and then. Sahil mentioned something that I think is really
0: impactful if you really think about the implications, and that's that it's way cheaper to build out a team of no coders than it is to hire a team of software engineers with CS degrees who all expect to be paid $200,000 a year. And Ben, you've also mentioned the obvious advantage of no-code being that you can quickly prototype things. In fact, I was talking to Tyler Tringus of Ernest Capital a few weeks back, and he mentioned, Ben, that you'll sometimes tell him that, oh, you've got a cool idea for a feature or a product, and then the next day you'll turn around and it's already done, because you built it with no-code tools and it was super fast. And Just thinking about these things makes me want to zoom out a bit and just think about the ecosystem as a whole. What are the implications if everybody can build applications for super cheap and super fast? You know, if we assume, if we do sort of a thought experiment and assume that, you know, 10 years from now, we're looking back at today and we're saying, oh, wow, no code really was a huge thing and it really took off. What's that world going to look like and what has to change for us to get there?
1: Yeah, well, I think like Sahil was talking about, it's funny how the market of startups helping people build startups was huge, is huge, I think the no code thing for me at least opens up the fact that more people can build even more things. So that just really blows that up. And I think we will see the sort of emergence of maybe hundreds of newsletters about really niche things, which you could argue is a really good thing or a really bad thing. But I think that there's loads of ways that people can sort of own their own work stuff where it's like they've maybe got a a newsletter and a, and a membership site that they just run. They get like three, $5,000 a month and that's just how they live their life. It's like, they're not just doing some job that they dislike because they want to someday build something and pay an engineer to build or whatever. It's just like, it's like a lifestyle. I don't want say lifestyle business technically, because people have a st- stigma around that. But I think it's more like just enabling more people to be a creator and be creative with what they're doing and the things that they like doing. There's always a community out there for that. So I think it's it's all for the good of everything. But I don't know, is it a terrible thing that everyone then has their own like mini business and startup? I don't know. <laughs> that could be easily a problem. I mean, you're
0: describing a world where there's a lot more indie hackers. So I like the sound of that. <laughs> yeah. Sahil, what's your vision of a world in which no code is taken over? Yeah, I mean, I, I think...
2: It would mean that people think about building software like they would think about today, I assume, writing a book or making music, where it's just a thing that you don't need a you need don't need a degree, you don't need a two or three year uh, long investment course in, in producing stuff, right? Where I assume music was that inaccessible or game development was that inaccessible. And now it feels like you can sort of learn things There's unity. There's unreal. There's all these sort of tools, ground fan, et cetera. It's it's like, start making music. I would love to see a world in which being a, being a musician, you know, you you wouldn't really say like, Oh, I'm a software engineer. Like that's not a hobby. Like I built, I make software that most people would assume that's your job. But if you said I'm a musician, you know, it's much more common to have that as a side hustle. I would love for that to, to happen. I think code should be or no no code. Building software should be considered a creative pursuit, just like these other things. I would say you'd probably see an order of magnitude at least in terms of new businesses being built. You should see, you know, a hundred X. I mean, if you can if you can really remove the bottleneck of having to hire someone with a CS degree at some level to build a, a internet business for business you should see a hundred times more software businesses being created. I would also, frankly, love to see the destruction of a huge amount of really high market cap companies. So I would love... I actually, when Gumroad, after the layoffs, and I was thinking about what I wanted to do next, potentially, one idea I had was to basically build open source versions of things that I felt like should be free or close to free. And just basically take ten to fifty billion dollar companies, build open source versions of them, and just kind of you know, like you know kamikaze or something. Like I just want to watch the world burn. You know, yeah. I had a joke, which is like, if I can't build a billion dollar company, I don't want anybody. <laughs> uh, which I'm still there's still part of me that believes that. I you know especially with the the narrative the way it is, I think it's a huge opportunity to really take the anti VC, anti billionaire sentiment of which I think some is invalid and some is valid and sort of like, you know, point, pay, point a, a huge target, paint a huge target on Uber, for example, like, would be a great, or we work right now, right? Like we work, people argue is a, is a, is a real estate company, not a software company. And it like, then they should have zero and enge- like, they don't need engineers. They should, they should be at the perfect no code start. They should take real estate and add a layer of great software that they don't have to, you know, hire a bunch of engineers to manage. You know, I think that would be a, a perfect candidate and then you know you could you could charge much less, or you could you know you could charge basically what what it costs to run the space times a tiny percentage or something like that. So yeah, I mean I, I'm just excited in general about anything that creates more entrepreneurs, more people building businesses, more people solving problems, and more people just being financially independent and having choice and not working in a place that they might not want to work just because that's the only thing they, they feel like they can do. And almost everyone I know that is building what they want to build or making what they want to make, uh, regardless of the sort of financial viability of it is feels like just more fulfilled, especially in today's world where it's, you know, people are sort of dissatisfied with maybe some of the macro trends that like feeling personally fulfilled, like you're doing, you're working on something that matters. I know so many people that are leaving sort of traditional startup jobs and going into, you know, working on climate change or working on some of these things. And I think the sort of the easier it is for them to comprehend how to build a business to solve some of these problems without being like, oh, yeah. I have to do Lambda School and a year from now, I, yeah. I can you know, build something. I think that's great. That would be a great shift. Yeah. All these tools are
0: giving the average person much, much more leverage to be able to build something and do something impactful in the world. So I think that's super exciting. And it's pretty crazy what the world is going to look like 10 years from now if this stuff really catches on. To sort of close out this discussion... I want to talk about the fact that most people who want to get started on something might be excited, but they're not really sure what a good idea is. They might not have any good ideas, not even sure what a good idea looks like. I think it's interesting that since there's two of you, we can sort of get both of your perspectives. Sahel, you could talk about what a developer might might want to work on, and Ben, you could talk about what a no-coder might want to work on. So Sahel, let's start with you. This no-code movement might be taking off. How can a developer, how can a fledgling, aspiring indie hacker take advantage of this?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I think if you're a coder and you want to you want to contribute, you should talk to a lot of these people that are in the no code ecosystem and really figure out like where their pain points are. I assume they probably have more pain points sort of per day than almost any other person you could talk to because it, they're building on infrastructure that's so new. There's probably an insane amount of opportunity, just like mobile, right? It was like, oh, we can build this, but now mobile, this and now mobile, Uber, now mobile, Airbnb, Pinterest, etc. I think there's a huge opportunity to take a lot of these these startups that already exist, that are sort of proven out that there's a need, give you a sort of template for, for working on these these problems and then apply it to no-code. I think Rainforest QA for no-code would be a great a great one. And just, yeah, literally I would just email a founder and be like, hey, I love what you're doing. They might be making 10k MRR or something like that on their no-code tool or newsletter or little business e-commerce website. And just say, you know, what, what, what do you do every day that you wish you didn't have to do? Or like make a list of every single recurring task that you feel is redundant. You're just doing it over and over again because there's no API for doing something or, you know, um, you have to copy paste something from this website to this website every, every day or, uh, you know, you have to do all this math in Excel to, you know, before you can do payouts um, or something like that. Huge. Yeah. I think there's just so much, there's probably just an insane amount of opportunity there and almost any, I feel like almost any engineer, focused on this could get to $10,000 a month in passive income building you know really simple uh, software for these for these new groups of people and then once you're there then you have the freedom potentially to do it to do whatever you want Ben what's
0: your take on the kinds of ideas and websites and businesses that a no coder should think about building
1: well I think if I I never try and come up with ideas I think it's just it's more about the passion projects like I was talking before if there's like a specific type of thing you're really interested in, there's usually a community out there around it. And every, well, I'd say most ideas that people come to me and say, how do I build this thing without code? If you break it down and really look at what the sort of moving pieces are, it often looks like a marketplace type app or there's like two sides to it. The screens may look different from Airbnb or something, but a lot of the times the functionality and the way they are, it's often transferable. And I think that if you look at lots of apps and startups out there today, you can sort of repurpose a lot of these. So if there was, you wish there was a, a Gumroad, but for music only or whatever it is, then you could build your own sort of mini version of this. Like Sahil was saying earlier, I think there's there's ways to build something but for X that you are really passionate about. And I think there's there's loads of opportunities out there. So I think you just got to, just try them out and see which tools work for you and what tools you get on with and which tools you don't like. And it's just, it's a learning curve if you decide no code or you decide to code. So either way, I think it's, uh, it's a similar process.
0: Totally. And I think the common theme that I'm hearing from both of your answers is just the vast amount of opportunity. Uh, Sahil pointed out that the the no code space is just so nascent that it's got a ton of room to grow and it's already pretty huge. But also the founders operating in the space have a ton of problems that they need solved by developers. And so if you just start talking to them, you could probably come up with an idea worth working on pretty quickly. And it's probably going to be one of these infrastructure-level ideas that has the potential to be something really big in the future. And you know, to your point, Ben, the internet is so massive that almost any particular niche or hobby or passion you have, there's going to be a lot of other people you can reach. And with the no-code tools that exist today, it's easier than ever to actually build something impactful to reach them. So all of this sounds super promising. Guys, thank you both for coming on the podcast. Can you let listeners know where they can go to learn more about Gumroad and about MakerPad?
2: (laughs) Yeah, so MakerPad is makerpad.co or at Makerpad on Twitter. Awesome, and Gumroad is gumroad.com and at gumroad on Twitter. All right, thanks again. Thanks for having us, folks. Listeners, if you enjoyed this
0: episode, I'd really appreciate it if you let Ben and Sahil know. Ben is at Ben Tossel on Twitter, and Sahil is at SHL. I would also love to know your thoughts. I know this is kind of a new episode format, but I might be doing more of these in the future. If you go to indiehackers.com slash podcast, you can sign up for the Indie Hackers Podcast newsletter where I share my thoughts in each episode. And you can basically reply and tell me if you thought the episode was good, if you thought it was bad, and even share your ideas for topics I could cover or guests that I could bring on. So once again, that's indie Hackers.